And boys and girls, make sure you have your kids' bulletins. You have your own translation in there. I want you to follow along. We're starting a new series today. We're going to look at the New Testament book of Philippians. We're going to go through this short epistle together for the next couple months and see what the Lord has in store for us. And to start out with, I want to kind of tell you a story. I want to remind you of a, of a classic 1941-42 movie, Casablanca. How many people have actually seen this movie? It's a classic. Come on. Okay, not enough hands. Y'all need to see this movie. It's really, really good. So Humphrey Bogart there is, is Rick. He runs a nightclub in Casablanca, which is in Morocco. It's in the middle of World War II. Germans are overrunning North Africa, and Rick has this American cafe there, and there's an interesting relationship there with the Germans and, and him, and turns out that the woman he loves shows up, and her husband, and he didn't know she was married, and she thought her husband was dead when they fell in love recently, and now her husband is wanted by the Germans big time, and Rick, turns out, has a way to get them safely to America. But will he do it? Because he loves her. Does he want to just see her go off with her husband? It means a sacrifice for him, and it means risk for him as well. So he decides to go ahead and help out, and he has to strong arm a local corrupt French police officer to pull it off. And at the very end, when, this, when the tables are turned and this French policeman could have actually taken Rick away, he instead sides with Rick for unbeknown reasons. And so as the movie closes and they watch the plane leave, Rick looks at the policeman and utters that famous, famous last line. If you haven't seen the movie, you've probably heard this line. He says, you know, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Thus ends Casablanca. Well, today, we're going to look at the book of Philippians. We're going to start out with the book of Philippians, and we're going to see what the Apostle Paul has to say from the very beginning to this Philippian church. He says, you know what? It was the beginning of a beautiful partnership together in the gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote this church. He planted this church in the Macedonian city of Philippi. If you remember, or maybe you don't remember, let me tell you real quick, Acts chapter 16 is the story of the church plant in Philippi. There's no synagogue in that city, which means it was... There was less than 10 Jewish males in that city because if there were 10 or more, they'd have a synagogue. So the fact there's no synagogue means it's a very post-Christian society as we would call it nowadays if, if it was a church planter. Not a very Old Testament friendly church. Couldn't do the things he normally does, but he decides to try it. And so he goes out when there's no synagogue. Jewish people would gather near the river on the Sabbath to pray. And so he goes there and he sees this group of women and he shares the gospel with them. And some believe, in fact, one woman named Lydia, she believes, she and her whole household, and she is wealthy, and she has a large house, and so she hosts the church in her home. So as Paul is using that as home base, and as he's walking around in the city talking about Jesus, he is harassed by this demon-possessed girl who tells fortunes for her owners because of this demon possession, and she keeps following Paul around saying, he's the real deal, he's going to tell you about Jesus. You'd think Paul would like that, but eventually he gets sick and tired of it, he turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And the demon does. The girl becomes part of the church, and her owners are like, uh, you just cost me money, which is the cardinal sin for every culture, it's the one cross-cultural thing, right? And so they take him to this magistrate's. And, he, and Paul and Silas are beaten, and they're put in jail. 
In the middle of the night, famous story, an earthquake happens. Their stocks fall off. They can escape. The jailer wakes up and sees what happens. He's about to kill himself because he let prisoners escape. And Paul says, no, don't do it. And so this Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And he believes the gospel. And he and his whole household are baptized and become part of the church. It's a great church plant. If you look at the narrative of Acts 16, we're looking like less than two weeks. All of a sudden, Paul's got a pretty good core group here of interesting. We've got rich woman Gentile. We've got demon-possessed girl. We've got the Roman jailer. It's a pretty good core group right there. Well, fast forward 12 years, approximately. Paul's in prison, probably in Rome, on death row, and he writes to this church, which has supported him throughout his ministry career. And so looking back on these events of Acts 16, Paul's, Paul basically begins by saying, man, that was such a beautiful partnership we have together. So let's look together at what Paul says, these first five verses of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Before we go to God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Ask him to teach us through this. Lord, we come before your word. We ask that you would come down, reveal yourself to us yet again in this text. May your holy and inspired and inerrant word once again be the conduit for your spirit to grow us up, to change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're going to talk about today. I want to give you kind of one thought to take from this, to remember maybe at family worship throughout the week or as you're stuck in traffic, maybe you can remember this. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We find joy serving Jesus together. Nice, simple, to the point. See, gratefully together in the gospel makes us joyful partners for the gospel. So let's see how that works. I want you to think about as we jump into this, if you're going to make a document on the computer... Nowadays, you can use Microsoft Word, or you can use OpenOffice like we do here at the church, or you can use Pages like John Mark does to make things look really cool. But no matter what you do, there's usually templates there, right? You kind of just click, okay, I want a resume. Click, and there's, there's a form. I need a business letter. Click, there's a form. There's a template. Well, an epistle from one person to another or from one person to a group was a template in Roman culture. Everybody knew what an epistle looked like. They all started the same way. They all flowed the same way. And so Paul is using a very well-known form. And, and his audience, as they would receive this, they would expect him to follow a certain form. And here's where it gets interesting. Paul kind of changes it around a little bit. And I want you to understand this, so I'm going to give you a quick story. As many of you know, I was in corporate sales for a little while uh, after seminary. And um, one of the aspects of our job was on the phone. And so they gave us a script to follow, a loose script. You make it your own, kind of ham it up a little bit to be personal, but this is, this is what we want you to say. And there was one guy in our class, Lord bless him, because I was not the best salesman either, but this guy just did not have what it took to be a salesman. And they would have us rehearse, and I'm, I'm not making this up. He would, you, would, you would hear him rehearsing with the trainer, and you would hear him say this, <clears throat> Hello, customer's name. My name is your name here. I'm here to talk to you about product name. I'm not kidding. And the church is like, no, no, no. Don't, don't say customer's name. Say the customer's name. He's like, 
I, I did. No, no, you said customer's name. Say the name on the sheet of paper. You're co- anyway, it was amazing. I'll never forget that. Hello, customer's name. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Well, Paul doesn't do that. Paul takes a typical greeting and he actually makes it more personal. He makes it theirs. Paul's not like that guy. He makes it unique. He starts out by saying, guess what? Timothy and I, we're servants of Jesus Christ. Now, often when we see that, we're told it's the word for slave. But when we hear slave, we think of Southern American slavery from like 150, 200 years ago. And that is so not what Roman cultural slavery was like. It's totally different from that. Here, here's what more that it's like. Many of you know about this. I resisted until the third season, then it finally got me. But I know we've got a big chunk of people here who are Downton Abbey fans, right? You'd have to admit it. It's okay. It's okay. I know. I got this wave of excitement went over the congregation. That's really weird. Okay, so anyway, it's not about the building, is it? It's not about the land. It's not about the farm. It's about the family of this English lord in early 20th century Britain, and it's about the, the people who work there, Lord Grantham and his family, and all the various types of servants, the butler, the valet, the ladies' maids. Those aren't slaves, are they? They get paid. They have to do what the Lord says. And many of them, they, how do they refer to him? They call him his lordship, right, when he's not around. That's what Paul is saying here. He's not saying he's a slave. He's saying, I'm a servant. I'm a butler, if you will, of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm a, if he's a woman, I'm a lady's maid for Jesus Christ. I take care of Jesus Christ. I'm here to do what he says. See, he's establishing from the very beginning his identity What grounds him, even while he's in prison, is the fact that he is a butler to Jesus Christ. And it gives him joy to say that. He's not chafing at that. But he also establishes their identity as well, not just his own. Those united to Christ by faith, he says, what's he say? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and he says what? To all the saints. Literally there, verse 1, it's actually the word holy. He says to all the holies, to the holy people. Do you realize that? Christians, not just the New Testament Christians, but us, because of what Christ has done, we're saints. And you often hear, oh man, that person, they were so helpful, they're just such a saint. It's like, well, if you know Christ, you are too. You don't have to be dead for 11 years, have a miracle that they can prove in your life, and then be canonized by some dude wearing a long robe in Italy. No, you're a saint because of what Jesus Christ says, because of what Jesus Christ has done. Doesn't that make you want to rejoice to say, I'm holy, I'm a saint. Now I know that voice pops up in your head, you ain't holy, I know. (laughs) Tell it to shut up, because Jesus Christ says you're a saint. Paul in the New Testament says you're a saint. That's your identity in Christ. As you rejoice in that reality, I want you to think about this. What about our neighbors? What about our community? What do they think that they are? How do they talk to themselves inside? Do they have the kind of hope that you have of saying, I am a saint destined for glory in Christ. I'm one of his servants on earth called a saint, and it gives you hope. Do your neighbors have that hope? You know, our world is so connected through Facebook and through Twitter, whatever that is, and through all the other internet stuff. But yet, many people are so lonely. They're so connected and yet so isolated at the same time. They live in what has been called routinely a quiet desperation, even as they give you pictures of their food, and oh, my life is great, hee hee, look at me. We have a hope that can help that. 
We have a hope that you can actually be a saint of God by becoming his servant. Now, we could give him hope in Christ if we just would. The kind of hope that these Philippians have, the kind of hope that Paul says in verse 2, grace and peace to you. Oh, the grace of God comes to sinners just like us. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we actually have peace with God. You ever thought about that? We have peace with God. You know those quiet moments when you kind of start to hate yourself? That little voice when I said you're a saint, the little voice popped up that said, no, you're not. That, that voice that kind of drives us crazy. You know, God knows us better than that voice knows us. And he says, we are at peace because I've given you my grace through Jesus Christ. This is peace at the deepest level. This is a harmony at the deepest part of your heart. This is being able to, in the midst of a frenetic, overly busy, overly scheduled life where there's always more unexpected bills, it seems like, and just always problems. And now why, why am I in conflict with this person now? You can just have this peace. You just kind of go, that's what New Testament peace means. Says you can have that because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Do you have that kind of peace? And this is not just a trite greeting. This is the gospel. The grace of God is the key to having peace from God. Oh, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness if you don't have that kind of peace. And it can be yours. Because Jesus earned that peace for us. And if you know Christ, just rejoice in that peace. Why is it that we Christians are so stressed and so frenetic, just like everybody else? Where's the peace in our life that Christ has earned for us? We need to embrace that peace and recognize that it is ours. You know, I want to go back to this idea we talked about in Downton Abbey of us being butlers for Christ. You realize we're all servants of something, right? Something rules our life. Something demands our thoughts. Something demands our activity. Something controls our schedule. Sports, your kids, your job, your wealth, your status, your self-esteem, whatever it is, something drives you every day. No one is forcing you to be as busy and as stressed as you are. You are submitting to something. If I haven't sold you yet, think about your dreams that pushed you on. You just want so bad, you're hungry and you thirst for those things. You are serving that dream. Or maybe it's the opposite for you. Maybe it's a nightmare. What scares you and so you get going every day because i got to stop this from happening. You are serving that desire. You are serving those fears. You are a butler to those fears and to those dreams. You're not free to have peace. See, but the grace of God through Jesus Christ can give you that peace when you say, I cease to serve this and I serve Jesus. And he will give you grace. He will give you peace. He will say, I make you holy. Now, calm down. And you actually can. Now, if you have that hope in Christ this morning, just rejoice in that. Sit back and say, oh, thank God I have that kind of peaceful hope. And then at the same time, I want you to think of someone in your life who doesn't have that. Can you see their face right now? Someone in your life you know doesn't have that kind of peace? Maybe this week you go and have a meaningful conversation that goes beyond, hi, how you doing? Just thought. You know, one of the reasons that you and I struggle to share our hope 
is because we forget how amazing the gospel really is, don't we? We get so used to it. I mean, verse 2 by itself is enough. If we did not know the gospel, if we were brand new to the gospel, to make us rejoice that we have grace and peace from God. And it's not just God. What is it? It's God our Father. That's incredible. We get to call God Father? You realize that? That's only Christians get to do that legitimately. I know it's a big deal to think. There's liberals out there saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's the, Jesus came and taught the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. No, he did not. That was Gandhi, not Jesus. Thank you very much. Jesus said, you only get to call God Father if I've brought you back from the dead, if I have made you righteous so you get to be called a saint, therefore God adopts you. Only Christians get to call God Father. It's an amazing privilege, and you and I are so used to it that he's our Father, yeah. But believers have been adopted through Jesus Christ. Again, let's go back to Downton Abbey. The servants call Lord Grantham Father, right? Right. The butlers come up, oh, good morning, Father, right? That, is that how it works? Those of you who watch the show, I need a solid yes or no here, right? Okay, no, that's right. You do not call an English Lord Father, right? Even if you are his child, they don't call him that either, it seems like. The servants call him my Lord, or when he's not around, they call him his lordship. They don't call him father. In fact, in one of the earlier seasons, if I remember right, one of Lord Grantham's daughters, she like married the chauffeur, right? One of the, one of the servants. And it was a big deal that all of a sudden this guy is not a chauffeur. He's married the Lord's daughter, so he's, he's not a servant. He's a son, and the Lord's got to talk to him equally. And it was a big deal. A really big deal in, in early 20th century Britain. And guess what? It is such a bigger deal that you have been elevated to the status of child of God. Call him father, and yet you and I don't think twice about it. We hear it so often. But you and I can call God father because of what Jesus Christ has done, the grace and peace given to us through Jesus Christ. We've been adopted. Where's our joy over that? Where's our hope? Wow, what an amazing life that we get to call God father. That is why Paul has such a deep love for this Philippian church. They are his family through Jesus Christ. And whenever he thinks about them, he thinks, wow, we're family together. He's profoundly grateful. He loves them because they're family together. I want you to get a sense of this. Boys and girls, I I don't want you to miss this. I I want you to see how he translated this for you. Look at me at the kids' translation, verses 1 through 3. This is how this letter starts. How great is this? Hello. This is Paul and Timothy, Jesus' butlers, writing to all you holy people there in Philippi, along with your leaders. God is our Father through Jesus Christ, and His grace gives us peace. Every time I think about y'all, I thank God for you Philippians. Boys and girls, you ever gotten a letter from Grandma, maybe? Excuse me, it's 2014. You ever gotten an email from Grandma? (laughs) just telling you how much she loves you, how much she misses you, how much she's glad to see you. That's what the book of Philippians is like, boys and girls. Paul is writing to people he loves to say, I'm just so grateful for y'all. And since we're in the South and I can get away with it almost every time, parents and boys and girls and non-parents, you see the word Y-O-U in the New Testament, it's y'all. It's plural. Now, we're Americans. We always think me when we read that, but we, we need to think we. He's writing to 
plural. That's why we translated it y'all. Because Paul is grateful that they are together in the gospel. Because we find joy serving Jesus together. But there's even more. Paul says, guess what? We are joyful partners for the gospel as well. One of the unique things about Christianity is that it's about joy. Paul tells us that the joy comes from serving Jesus together as a family. I mean, did, you, did you get the sense of joy as you read through that? And remember, Paul's sitting in a Roman prison, probably on death row. History says he did not escape that and was beheaded by Nero. Church tradition says he eventually was released, went to Spain, and then was executed later. Either way, at this point, Paul's in prison, thinks he's going to die. And he's not like, Philippians, you need to get to the Macedonian congressman. You need to get my appeal through. And you need to go, you know, no. He's just like, man, I love y'all. How are y'all doing? I'm so grateful for y'all. I've been praying for y'all. He has palpable joy because of the gospel in their life. And he says whenever he prays for this church, he does it with joy. Paul loves this church and they love him. I hope you have that kind of relationship with the body of Christ of which you are a part. I hope that you love your church, but I hope that you feel loved by your church. One of the most encouraging things about my week, and I am not a morning person, is 6 a.m. every Wednesday morning, a session gets together to pray for y'all. And as we take prayer requests from each other, just hearing your elders just spill out how much they love and desire the best for y'all is so encouraging. It's the best part of my week just about to hear these men pray and love for you. I hope you know your church loves you, and I hope you love your church. I hope our community knows that we're a loving church, that we're the kind of church that just, I don't know, wouldn't it be great if someone talked about Trinity? Oh, yeah, I know that church. Those people are weird. They just love the mess out of each other. You've been there? It's kind of creepy how much they like each other. Wouldn't that be great to have that reputation in Orangeburg? Oh, you know, we've talked about joy. Joy is kind of one of those Christian words, isn't it? It's kind of one of those words we use so often we don't really know what it means, right? I mean, joy is not exuberance. Introverts can have joy. It's not happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. Got to have joy. No, Paul, people in prison can have joy, like Paul. You have to kind of sense joy more than define joy. So I want to I help you out here. One of my favorite times of the day is I get up early, and I exercise. I know I don't look like it, but I do. And then I get ready. And then about the time I'm done cleaning up is when Emma and Isla, the two-year-old and the four-year-old, wake up. So I get them their sippy cups, and I get them, and I sit down on the couch, and they're in my lap, and they're watching sippy, got their sippy cups, and I turn on the TV for them, and it's usually either Timmy time or Sean the Sheep or... Peter Rabbit or something like that, and they just, there's no talking because they want their coffee, I mean, they want their sippy cup, and no talking, and I have coffee or tea, and I'm reading, and they're just sitting there, and then they just kind of just melt into me, and it's just dead quiet, usually about 15 minutes of just total silence, and just my heart is just overflowing with gratitude, happiness, enjoyment, contentment, harmony, that's joy. That's what we have in Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. It's that kind of palpable, glorious joy. Boys and girls, do do you ever get to sit on mom and dad's lap like that? 
Do you know that feeling you get when you get to sit on mom and dad's lap? That's joy. Don't you love that feeling of mom and dad just holding you? That's joy. That's what Paul's talking about here. But you know what? It gets even better. Jesus, when he wanted us to really understand something about God, he told stories. And so when he wanted us to understand how much God has grace and love for us, how much joy God has over us, he told some stories in Luke chapter 15. He tells one story about a man who lost a hundred sheep, or excuse me, had a hundred sheep, and he lost just one of the hundred. And so he dropped everything, searched and searched and searched and searched and searched. He found his one sheep, and he came back and he gathered all his friends and all his family to have a party and celebrate because he found his one sheep. And then Jesus says in Luke 15, verse 7, he says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The kind of joy that a dad has at holding his little girls, God has at sinners to repent. I know your heart right now says, no, I can't believe that. It's too good to be true. God can't love me like that. I know. See, Jesus knows our hearts. So he does it again. He next tells the story of a woman who lost a gold coin. And so she turns on all the lights. She turns over everything. She dusts, she vacuums, she cleans, and she finds the coin. She calls together her neighbor and says, let's have a party. I found my coin. And then how incredible is this? Jesus says, Luke 15, verse 10, Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God has joy when sinners repent. The kind of palpable joy of a father holding toddlers, of you holding your kids, of you getting whatever it is you love so much, just having and embracing. God has that for sinners who repent. Dear flock, do you have joy? Do you know that joy? Do you believe God has that kind of joy for you? Oh, I know you do. I know it's in there. I know it's deep, but we let people, we let people sap our joy away, don't we? Oh, live in the reality of God's gracious joy. Let it just flow over you. Be joyful because of Christ. You realize such joy, it's balm to a skeptical culture. So let go of your insecurity. Let go of your fear of others and embrace the full acceptance of God for you through Jesus Christ. Let his peace wash over you and you will live in joy. And everyone you encounter will want that kind of life. Joy over the gospel is contagious. Do you want to change Orangeburg for the gospel? I know you do, but you, you don't know how, right? You would love to see God do something amazing in Orangeburg. I, I, where do I begin? What do I do? You ready? I'll give you the secret. Here we go. Flaunt your joy. I'm serious. Flaunt your joy. Paul flaunts his joy here. And it's not an empty sentiment. He has real reasons for his joy. And he gives them to us in verse 5. Look with me at verse 5. It says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, partnership in the gospel is the reason for Paul's joy. This is that well-known word. We, if you've been around church more than about 27 seconds, you've heard someone use the word koinonia. It's the word for fellowship, typically. It also means participation. It means partnership. 
We often think of fellowship as a little more than kind of enjoying a meal together and conversation and discussion with other Christians, but it's so much more than that. We are uniquely knit together in Christ into a community, a partnership, a fellowship, a koinonia. When Christ earned our forgiveness on the cross, when we place our trust in Him, we become united as a family. That's partnership. But it's even more than that. Being a Christian means we enter into an active partnership with the work of Christ together. In context... You ready for this? In context, specifically here in verse 5, when Paul uses this word, he actually means cash. They are major supporters of his ministry. I think I found six different times in the New Testament letters of Paul where he specifically thanks this church for money. More than once they have sent him money while he needed it. And it's actually, we find out later in chapter 4, it's on reception of another monetary gift that he writes this letter to them. In fact, most scholars think, based on the Roman legal system, their financial gift to him at this time was probably for his legal counsel, which is kind of important if you're on death row, I should imagine. He was very thankful. So Paul is thankful He has joy. He says participation in the gospel is actually when y'all gave money to me, that's participation. Now I know what you're thinking if you're sitting there. Like, wait, I know what last weekend was. Are you telling me that paying some missionaries' bill is gospel partnership? No, Paul is, actually, sorry. In fact, Paul says from the very beginning, from Acts 16, for 12 years, this Philippian church had supported Paul, and that support had knitted their hearts together even though we have no evidence Paul ever saw them again face to face. Because we find joy serving together. They were partners for the gospel. So what do we do with this? What what do we take home with this? Just a couple things. Joy comes from a biblical partnership together in the gospel. So how then are we partners in the gospel? Three things. One, embrace the gospel. Do you have hope in a super busy, super lonely, desperate world? Do you have hope? Are you joyful in the midst of all that junk life throws at you? Would you like to be? You can have all of those things because they're a result of the profound peace that comes from being at peace with God through His grace. Peace is available by becoming a butler, a servant of Jesus Christ, Again, we're all serving our desires and our fears. They own us, they control us, and you know they do. There's no real freedom there from following our own desires. It all ends usually in letdown and disappointment and ultimately death. See, but Jesus Christ came. He entered into our world. He entered into our slavery. He became a butler with us to these things, to sin and to death. He entered into our prison cell and he overcame it. He actually ripped the chains off, told us to stand up. And so we did. We followed him out. And he makes us then a family able to call God Father, able to believe that Christ himself loves us, that God himself has joy over us. Oh, see, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ like that, when we confess him as Lord and become his servant, he's the only master that when we do mess it up, and we all mess it up with Christ, he's already died to cover that failure of yours. 
Your fears and your desires haven't died to cover your failures yet, have they? But Christ has. Peace and joy are yours for the taking. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do it right now. Embrace the gospel. Be a partner together with Christ. Second thing, excuse me, we need to support the gospel. So embrace the gospel, support the gospel. Paul specifically thinks, thanks, excuse me, this Philippian church for cash, for money. In fact, the word partnership, koinonia, is used in other places in the New Testament and in Roman literature as the word for an investor. They invested in the gospel through Paul, actual real money from the very start. I hope after last week that you have prayerfully considered your faith promise because it's, faith promise is right here in this text. Faith promise is not supporting them in doing ministry. It is us doing ministry together, partnering with them by sending them money to help them out. And it's our joy to do so, and it brings them joy. It's all of us doing ministry together. So do you want to be a partner with our missionaries? Then promise them cash. And I can be that crass because it's right there in verse 5. And it will bring you joy. So to be a partner in the gospel, embrace the gospel, support the gospel. And finally, share the gospel. Our neighbors are starving for hope. They are desperate for joy. They want to be free from serving their desires and fears. And if you know that freedom, indulge in that joy. Live out that incredible peace. Show off your life of hope and joy, and they will come to you. You don't have to, okay, i got to memorize this conversation starter so I can share. No, if you just live a life of joy, people will come to you and be like, what you got? It's happened to me before. And the times when I've been somber and sober thinking that's what a mature Christian should look like, no one ever talks to me. But the time when I'm actually excited about my faith, people come and talk to me. You want to change Orangeburg, like I said earlier, flaunt your joy. So many of us, we're so afraid of other people that we, we, we don't want to be outgoing and start a conversation or say hi, right? Let that go. Just be your joyful Christian self. And you will find yourself with plenty of opportunities to share the gospel, to partner in the gospel. Because we find joy in serving Jesus together. So embrace the gospel Support the gospel and share the gospel, and you'll be joyful. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the promise of your joy. We thank you, Lord, that we get to call you Father because of the grace of Jesus Christ has brought peace. And so now our family is put back together. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to be partners together with you and with others in the gospel. Lord, we pray you will help us to embrace that partnership. Lord, so often we we think we shouldn't pray for things like this, but Lord, we pray right now that you would bring conviction about our money. We pray, Father, you would set our hearts free and that we would joyfully support faith promise so that we can partner with you and our missionaries across this planet. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to repent of our fear, to repent of just being sad for no reason, that we would relish and indulge in the joy that you've given us.
and that that joy would be contagious. Our Lord, make us joyful in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's respond to God.